like they say in Nigeria, if the wise elders of the village do not teach the youths, the fools will do it for them. Midday Knowledge Hello, my name is Kristen Sharpley and I am currently the Program Coordinator at the Centre for Student Leadership, Experiential Education and Citizenship, Frederick von Sells Slubbard Institute for Student Leadership Development at Stellenbosch University. Welcome to our second podcast. This podcast was pre-recorded as part of our Midday Knowledge sessions and the topic was Social Justice and Active Citizenship in the South African Higher Education Sector presented by Dr. Webster Zambara, who is the Senior Project Leader of Peacebuilding Initiatives at the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation in South Africa. A very, very special welcome to our speaker, uh, Dr. Webster Zambara. So our audience probably knows you, Dr. Zambara, because you frequently write opinion pieces in newspapers, and that's very, very widely read. Um, and also we've heard you in media interviews. We've followed your debates as well, um, and you've done several high-level analyses of the political developments in Africa. So um, this is, I think, how we know you. Um, and just to say that um, our Dr. Zambara is the Senior Project Leader in Peacebuilding Interventions. He's a facilitator, a trainer, a researcher, and his areas of passion are justice and reconciliation, conflict transformation, mediation, non-violence, peacebuilding, human rights. So very, very pertinent to our current context, and we really look forward to exploring um, these areas within the topic of social justice and active citizenship today. So, um, Dr. Zambara, your workshops and interventions are renowned for infusing the traditional African ethics and values of Ubuntu to creatively finding peaceful solutions to conflicts. And it is a privilege to draw on this knowledge, these insights, and the wealth of experience that you gleaned through your peace and development work in more than 15 countries across Africa. Such a privilege to have you here today, and welcome. Over to you. Thank you so much. I am so humbled. Um, The privilege is actually mine. Thank you so much for welcoming me. And uh, Stellenbosch is a very important university for not only South Africa, but for the rest of the continent because so many it is evolving into a true African university. As a, as a way of, uh, uh, my presentation is going to be as follows. I will introduce uh, uh, the, the, the day, like I've already started, and uh, we will just go through quickly some historical realities that uh, we are in here in South Africa. And then I will pitch the concept of social justice so that we, we are together. And then if I had more time, I was going to have even deeper time to look at the epistemological understanding of social justice in the higher education sector in South Africa. It's a broad aspect but I'll only touch on it, and then my slides should have, I think I saw a missing slide, imaging issues in social justice, but I will be able to speak to these uh, off the cuff, then we conclude. Uh, 
So, in terms of, um, if we go to the introduction slide, it will be important for me to just say that the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation that I have been working with for the past almost 10 years now, was formed in 2000 out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission process. And uh, one of the key things that we do here, which you should uh, look for, is our renowned South African Reconciliation Barometer publication, which is a longitudinal research work that traces how the country is perceived by South Africans since the advent of democracy. So you can visit our website there. Uh, and we have many publications, including a very recent one that we put across only two days ago from, uh, from our uh, African Reconciliation Barometer. We also host Afrobarometer uh, Southern Africa. So most of the surveys that uh, you read around Afrobarometer, we produce them. And we are involved in, uh, uh, we have also a, di a dialogue promoting in uh, department that uh, has been involved in many different uh, uh, interventions in, the, in this Western Cape region and beyond. So... This work that we are talking of is work that the IJR is basically uh, on the pulse on. And I would say this meeting is taking place while the world and South Africa is still grappling with the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, that has not only ruled me out of coming to meet you directly, but it's a challenge that we are facing and uh, we are still grappling with. Luckily, we are now talking about vaccinations, but a lot of issues Amazed. In fact, in fact, COVID-19 has exposed many social uh, variability, uh, many social uh, variabilities that we need to deal with as a country. In fact, it has exposed many fault lines in the way that we have uh, tried to tackle the vagaries of this disease. Uh, this is Human Rights Month in South Africa, a very important month. And just yesterday, it was the World International World Day. Uh, and South Africa participates in these global platforms, and the head of UN Women in South Africa, Dr. Pums de Mlabanguka, is doing fantastic work there. But a month before, 20 February, was actually World Social Justice Day. So the issues of social justice are out there. And... Um, Coming closer home, 9 March actually also commemorates the start of the Roads Must Fall movement, which was prominent in, uh, in 2015, and a month later, on 1 April, Roads Statue actually fell from UCT. But the Fallist movement, I know it also took uh, precedence at Stellenbosch University. We are also in a global protest, Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, in the work of uh, Floyd George's death uh, in Minnesota, in the hands of the police. But in South Africa, protesting and toy-toying is part of our world uh, almost every day. So, in this uh, broad reality in life, the concept of social justice is as historical, is as present, and as futuristic as our lives, as humanity itself, it is the reality of the struggles and the resilience 
of the human spirit. And it would be important for us to locate ourselves within the broader historical epochs that South Africa has gone through. And I will just touch some of them. We are a country that did not escape what I often refer to as the unholy trinity of slave and slave trade, colonialism and apartheid. That's basically the background that we, are, we, are experience, we experience. But before, uh, along the way, we also have the Mfekane migration uh, of around 1820 to about 1840, when the Zulu nation imploded. And um, some of the issues that we still have to deal with today, you can still trace some of the, the conflicts back there. But then, you cannot uh, do away without speaking of colonialism, the role of the Dutch, the British, the, colon- uh, the Portuguese, and the Germans uh, also go spilling into other countries uh, uh, on these issues. And uh, another historical epoch is the end of apartheid in South Africa and Namibia, which shapes the South Africa of today, particularly because we, have so many, we had so much aspirations in 1994, which we are still grappling for. It's important also to look at the rise of African nationalism, liberation movements and struggles in the frontline states, the countries that later on formed SADC, is they tried to assist South Africa to liberate itself from apartheid. And the advent of democracy and the post-apartheid development agenda then speaks to what we are going to talk about today. Just yesterday, one of the key findings in our occasional paper number seven reads as follows in the South African Reconciliation Barometer. Nearly three in four, 72% of South Africans link present-day poverty to historical disadvantage under apartheid. This parallels the lived reality of South Africans who experience income deprivation with as many as 18% of black South Africans, 9% of colored South Africans, and only 2% of white South Africans reporting regularly going without an income. So just the percentage will tell you where the pendulum swings. So it is important that we start with the historical epochs so that we can be able to understand why we are where we are today. So, if we would go to the next slide to try to understand the concept of social justice. By definition, social justice refers to a political and philosophical theory that focuses on the concept of fairness in relations between individuals in society and equal access to wealth opportunities and social privileges. Put simply, social justice is looked at in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities and privileges within society. So when I drive into Stellenbosch, when I'm looking for some uh, good wines, there is no way I cannot see the difference between Kayamandi when I get in and the other areas of, of, of Stellenbosch. So it is the reality that, that, that we have to deal with. But then social justice recognizes the need to promote justice, which includes tackling issues of such as poverty, exclusion, and exclusion here means uh, meaning both economic and political. 
gender equality, unemployment, human rights, and social protection. So when COVID struck uh, this month last year, the poor became even more poor because they lost jobs, they lost income, and the government had to come with some form of social protection, increasing grants and introducing some new grants. That's part of social justice that was happening there. And there are some five key principles of social justice that I want to touch on quickly. These are human rights, access, participation, diversity, and equity. And human rights is usually the most dominant, uh, driving from the 1948 uh, Declaration of uh, Human Rights by the United Nations after Second World War. What then followed was a realization that just human rights in their limited form will not ensure that people who are underprivileged, people who are subjugated, will realize their rights. That's when the thinking of social justice also began to emerge, although the idea of social justice is much, much older. You can talk of social justice even in uh, biblical times. It is much older, but in the present day, the dominance has been on human rights, and the world increasingly realized that human rights and social justice, they go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. Be they civil rights, economic rights, political rights, cultural rights, legal rights, that individuals and governments, organizations and institutions are obliged to observe and are obliged to uphold. And institutions particularly, including the University of Stellenbosch as an institution, how it promotes human rights within uh, itself and uh, across the uh, promoting human rights for the global, uh, broader national and global citizen. Then, when we go more to social justice, when we, then we speak to access. By access here, we are talking of being able to access essentials like shelter, food, and education, which are crucial for a, for a just society. So, if access is restricted on, based on factors like gender, race, and class, it leads to suffering of individuals, communities, and society. So, when you put the upper stage world there, uh, you could tell that there were others by race that were privileged more than others. When you put the colonial structure, you will find that there will be structural and the cultural imperatives underlying those institutions and governance structures that would deny a certain section of the population to achieve or to live life equally with, uh, with, with others. I can give you an example of one of my uh, professors and mentor, Professor Yohan Gautun, who is one of the leading thinkers in peace building uh, where I am oriented. He visited Zimbabwe, then it was Rhodesia in 1965. Ian Smith had just declared UDI from Britain Union, that's a declaration of independence. And he said, Ian Smith said, the happiest African is a Rhodesian African. But to a young Gautum then, who visited, he discovered that for the same job, same teaching, a white teacher would earn 20 times more than a black teacher for the same job at the same school. And a black teacher who was a female would earn even less than a black male counterpart. 
From this, he devised a concept which is called structural violence, where there are structures that are put in place that limit some sections of society to achieve life to the full. And this is where you can place colonialism and apartheid, where the group areas and other legal instruments were used to limit a section of society to achieve uh, life to the full. So the issue of access is key. If you are denied access to education, if you are denied access to shelter, if you are denied access to food, then your life will never be lived to the full. The other aspect that is key is participation. Social justice is not possible only if some voices are heard. Uh, in most cases, we have people who occupy important positions who have the habit of making decisions on behalf of the rest. Politicians are also good at that. They end up even eating on behalf of the poor. That's the crisis that we always have. So participation becomes key, such that I always like when workers and other organizations say there should be nothing for us without us. It therefore means all the vulnerable people, all the disadvantaged people, we want to speak of. If you want to find a solution for them, include them in making that solution because you should know what they want and convince them that that is important. The other aspect of principle is diversity. Understanding diversity and appreciating the value of cultural differences are important, especially for policy and decision makers, so that they take into consideration those differences. So many situations we find men trying to make a decision about women without many women at the table. It doesn't work. It has caused many uh, disparaging uh, effects and unwanted or in, in unintended consequences that are negative when people do not um, uh, are, are not involved in their diversity. But another aspect which is also key in social justice is equity. Equality is important, but it is actually equity that we should strive for, where individuals, especially those that are disadvantaged, are given tools that are specific for their needs so that they can get the same outcomes as the others. And there's always this uh, analogy of having three people, one who is tall, one who is medium, and one who is short. A tall guy can see beyond the wall. What do you need to do? You need to give one box to the middle middle guy so that he can also see beyond. The shorter one, you need to give him or her two or three boxes so that they can climb on it to also see the way others are seeing. That is equity. If you are looking at equality, there will be be an argument that, no, in any case, you all went to the same school, you went to Stellenbosch, but you are not looking at the backgrounds. How are the backgrounds affecting a person to achieve the same result that may be achieved by another person next door. The issue of uh, when black people mainly talk of black tax. How does a person in the same job, same salary, you may find that one can quickly rise in terms of life aspirations than the other. It's because of there's no equity. While one is doing work, the other one is already taking care of the family and the extended family. So these issues, they need to be looked at. 
But let us quickly go to uh, social justice. I will be quite brief because the notes are quite broad. Uh, social justice in the higher education in South Africa. And also this in, includes in, in, in Africa, basically. You know, epistemology is very interesting. It is a philosophical study of origins, nature, and limits on human knowledge. And it frames what we know and what we don't know to exist. The reality of our lives. So, how we do things are shaped by what, by what we are taught. So, the historical reality that I alluded to earlier, the reality of imperialism, colonialism, and apathy, the, the cognitive effect, the, the cognitive agenda, because they also shaped how we think and what to think. And its execution, it included such crimes as theft of history, denying victims any history. And this theft of history is such that I, I, I come from Zimbabwe myself. You will be told that the Victoria Falls was discovered in, in 1855 by, by, by Dave Livingstone. As though the people, the Tonga people who lived there did not know that they were the falls. We have our local names. It is called Musiatunya. But it's not in the history books. You will be told that gold was discovered. You will be taught in school. Gold was discovered in Jobek in 1886. But many empires, many people that lived there were trading in gold before that time. So those are some of the issues that, our, which history are we learning? I learned European history more than I did African history. I can recite even up to now the, the Second World War, the First World War. In fact, for our all levels, which is uh, uh, grade 10 here, our syllabus was World Affairs since 1919. And World Affairs was simply being European history. So I can tell you the history of Germany from unification right through to today. Better than I would tell you the history of Sierra Leone. Better than I would tell you the history of Ethiopia, a country that was never colonized. Better, better than I would teach you the history of South Africa. That is where colonialism and apartheid and imperialism would have an effect epistemological. It actually caused something that my friend uh, Samuel Ogacheni would say, epistemicide, killing of other people's knowledge, linguicide, killing of other people's language by imposing of colonial language. You talk of 1976 uprisings here. It was about language. Why is it that when they talk about renaming of uh, Cape Town International Airport, People were talking of, oh, it could be named Winnie Mandela Airport. But somebody said, why is it not being called Kotor? Who knows about Kotor if we are going to our institutions of higher learning? They don't know it. It would appear that the Sun people and, and the Khoi people who lived here did not know that there was Temple Mountain. No. We knew about, about it. But these uh, historical epochs, they was just a way such that you would think uh, it, it the packaging now even of rainbow tea, which has nothing to do with Africans who knew about it even before it was so-called discovered in course. Culture science, the killing of other people's cultures, and that sets a foot cultural and social imperialism. No wonder why Steve Biko would conclude that the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. I can speak much more about it, but my challenge is for a university in Africa 
to save African people, to be, not to be, a, to mimic or to be a microcosm of metropolitan institutions in London and America, but to be an African university that transforms Africa for the betterment of Africa. That is how social justice and higher education should meet. And we saw that. We saw that happening when students in, in March 2015 began to, to, argue, to argue why there was these statues that were around and beginning to speak of decolonizing education. Fine, words fell. But what else has changed? Now, it's a bigger question that universities should think through. Currently, universities are churning out multitudes of employment seekers that are unleashed on our streets. Why is it that the African university is not producing someone who can transform their environment? Actually, the biggest question is, you find that our youth graduates for that matter. Their aim is to get a degree and they would rather die crossing the river, crossing, trying to go to, crossing the, the Mediterranean, trying to go to, 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 to Europe. But the youth in Europe there and in China, they are trying to find ways to come to Africa because Africa has not been explored. The question the African university, like the University of Stellenbosch and other universities should ask is, why is it that graduates from Europe and America and China and Japan are vying to come to Africa while our youth are trying to get out of Africa? What is it that they are seeing that our universities are not producing for the, so that we explore our own continent? We can speak about this for the rest of the day. But what do we see? I've got a picture there of some people crossing from Zimbabwe to South Africa. That is what happens when human rights and social justice issues are not prioritized. They will cross the Limpopo River, jump across crocodiles, and congest the already congested South African economy. The other slide there is uh, showing the picture of a government that is insatiable about sucking the poor dry through corruption. And the worst thing that we witnessed in the past few months is to discover that corruption has no morals. No morals to the effect of stealing PPEs. No morals to the effect of stealing and trying to corruptly gain out of a, a crisis like COVID. The current Zolo Commission is ongoing. We hope that one day it will bring justice to, to the rest of the, 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 the people. And we've got some emerging issues that I spoke of that I don't see the slide here that I want to just touch on. And one emerging issue in social justice and education is the youth bound. The median age in South Africa is quite low. In fact, 65% of South Africans are youth or below. So what are we going to do with them? If we are not careful, like they say in Nigeria, if the wise elders of the village do not teach the youth, the fools will do it for them. Let not the youth of South Africa and the youth of Africa in general be lost. Let us gain. Let it be the youth dividend rather than a youth bulge that can end up becoming terrorists. The other challenge which is exposing us in terms of social justice, and that requires active citizenry, is climate change. Just a few years ago, three years ago here in Cape Town, 
So we were towards day zero, right? So climate change, we have an experience of it. There is the recurring cyclones in southern Africa. We just had three cyclones recently. And the recurring droughts that are affecting us, they are affecting our economies. They have serious consequences. Those are emerging issues that universities must begin to be innovative to come up with alternatives. The issue of power. ESCOM, I mean, uh, 15 years ago, I was in Durban, uh, and I was sharing a room with someone who had come from uh, Burundi. I saw him with a solar light, and uh, he asked where he should put the solar light, and I said, why do you want this small solar light of yours? He said, in case electricity will go. You know what I said to him? I looked at him in the eye and said, hey, this is South Africa, electricity does not go here. Today, I am ashamed of what I said 15 years ago. So, can University of Stellenbosch be the champion to provide alternatives like solar that would make everyone have electricity and power? The other challenge is COVID-19 and its vulnerabilities that it is showing us, and disease generally, because we are not even out of other diseases affecting us. And the other emerging issue, femicide, gender-based violence. How exactly do you explain it that even students it ha- it, 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 they, they face this huge challenge? So issues of gender justice cannot be separated from the broader social justice that any transitional justice movement that my institution and many other institutions will be uh, going for should uh, should continue to champion. In conclusion, so that we have much more time to add this, some more time. I think the path of South Africa's social justice was paved by the TRC, but the road was never paved. It was only cleared, but it has not been paved. It's not a tall road. Infants, new tones are growing on that process that some people do not see any value in the TRC process. So we need transitional justice as the ages of now. And transitional justice passes through the, a bridge called justice for the poor, justice for the disadvantaged, reparations, compensation, apologies, memorials. All those issues will bring together a rainbow nation that just want to jump off. In this part of the world, we are quite lucky to have the philosophy of Ubuntu, which is a value-based system that can be achieved. I doubt, because I don't know, I doubt if there is a module at Stellenbosch University that teaches on Ubuntu. I don't know of any university that has got a module that teaches Ubuntu and what it means to us. Another South Africa is possible if we teach each other that I am because you are, therefore we are, based on the success, respect, and fruition of all humanity. The structural faults that can be traced to colonialism and apartheid, as well as the failure of the liberation movements to create developmental states, are still there. And these are challenges that we need to tackle. These are challenges that a university needs to tackle.
when Stellenbosch flourishes, the rest of the, of the universities will also flourish. The vibrance of civil society in creating an active citizenry, especially among the youth, may be the game changer in a country that is economically and politically controlled by a few. And when I talk of active citizenship and citizenry, which I didn't speak of eloquently in this presentation, I am talking of a situation where anyone based on the spirit of Kubuntu, social justice begins with us. We are all players. You cannot look away when women are being killed by men. You cannot look away when children are being killed mainly by men. You cannot look away when corruption is continuing. You cannot look away when some people are deprived of their right to education. You cannot look away when the health delivery system is crumbling under corruption. On this, I want to again thank you that you have given me these opportunities to share my thoughts and I will leave it that we can have some time to discuss. Thank you so much, Dr. Zambara, for, for that. I don't, I don't even have the words to describe it. I think you just captured it well in the sense of saying that we are all players in terms of social justice. So I, I suppose my first question for you, um, before we get to some questions from other members um, in, the, in the virtual room, please remind us to put questions in the chat. My, my first question for you is, what, based on your experience and your work and, and everything you've observed, why is it that, that those that are in leadership, those that are in positions of power, see it as a point of negotiation, still see social justice and how it speaks and, 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 and as an embodying human rights? Why is it still a point of negotiation for so many? The, the, the challenge we have is that power and privilege is so sweet and will not be given out easily. Now what is often lacking in our socialization and also in our schooling system is to also educate those that are privileged. For them to realize that if we have equal access to everyone, it does not mean that we have less. Get me right. We are not trying to say Kayamandi must be the same as uh, Constantia. No. No life is like that. But let us strive to make sure that those that live in Kayamandi have got electricity, have water, have adequate shelter. And a country like South Africa can afford that. The sad reality, unfortunately, is that we have a country that has got the most unequal, we have the most unequal country in the world, and it is, it is historical, and if we don't take care of it now while we can, there comes a time where people would say we have nothing to lose, and it will be a lose-lose situation. It is not fair that 25 years 26 years post uh, 94, now into 27th year, we still speak of an economic spectrum that still favors the few 
It is just not fair. And one day, something will give in. Now, what does leadership need to do? Leadership needs to, to convince those that have more. To, I wouldn't say to say, but I would go by what Desmond Tutu once proposed many years back, to tax the rich in order to improve the lives of the poor. How is it possible that a person, one person, because of a senior position in leadership in a company, would go earning a salary equivalent to 500 subordinates, and they are living the same life in the same country? Those disparities need to be rethought in terms of not stripping the rich, no. That's not how it should work. But let us also have the rich contribute to the development of the broader society. And it, 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 is, it implies both politically and economically. So important decisions have to be made. And we've got many examples of countries that delayed doing the right thing until politicians ended up doing, making decisions for expedience. Look at the land reform in Zimbabwe and how it ended up. It's because the land issue was delayed. Zimbabweans agree amongst ourselves. We agree that it was done in the wrong way. But we are okay with the fact that the land has been shared. Why I say so? If you just listened to the, even the opposition benches just a few months ago, uh, few, few months ago when the ZANU-PF government passed a policy that was allowing whites to come back. It's the opposition that was even shouting high that they are reversing the gains of the land reform program. That tells you that behind the scenes, Zimbabweans will say, we are poor, but it's okay to be poor for now. We don't want that route. We can still get... Why I worry is because if South Africa would degenerate into what happened across the Limpopo, the whole region has fallen. So South Africa should take leadership in getting things right so, so that social justice for all will imply an improvement in the well-being of the rest of the, uh, of the country. And by so doing, when South Africa succeeds, the rest of the continent also succeeds. Thank you. Th thank you so much um, for, for commenting on that. And, and I think it's... It ties in a bit with, with a question another colleague had, um, and, and you spoke about, you know, in, in your presentation about whose history are we learning about? Um, and, and I think it is, it's, it's, it's commonly known that history is told from through the lens and through the, 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 the narrative of, of the victor. So when we look at the South African higher education landscape and um, specifically with, with, with leadership within this sphere, a question a colleague had is um, what role um, do student leaders play and, and, and student activism in terms of creating a more socially just um, South Africa? Because I, it, it's obviously a model which, you know, is, is something that, that's so untapped, but yet has been so effective, and we've seen that with the, 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 the fallist movements, you know, uh, hashtag Rosemills Fall, Fees Fall, um, and so on. 
what are your what are your thoughts in terms of that and, and, and especially in terms of everyday activism? What does that look like? And, you know, it, there is that misconception that that activism is, you know, this extremist um, method to, to, to use when it comes to, to, to dissatisfaction and, and, and protest. But what are your thoughts on activism being a, a leadership tool? This is a very interesting uh, subject you have just touched. I'm persuaded to urge student leaders and all other leaders that are calling for decolonial education and even the forest movement and other movements to separate reason from emotions. Often when uh, these issues come up, they are not interrogated to their logical conclusions because emotions are allowed to guide instead of thinking. Now, uh, you, you would look at uh, our current education system and its purpose. It gives an impression that our lives are almost static, especially when I, I, I sometimes teach in the, um, in the School of Politics uh, at the University of Cape Town. I visit at your university. I have taught in School of Politics in, uh, at uh, UKZN as well as the University of Jobek. Uh, one thing that I think is missing now is to create a decolonial intellectual that produces knowledge from the global south that can be now propagated and be fill our libraries. You see, the biggest challenge we have is that our intellectual governance system globally, globally is almost a governed from the global north lenses in terms of knowledge production. And some scholars in our universities, they are producing very good papers, but they lack the African thought in the papers that they are producing, such that if you remove the name Webster Zambara from such a paper and put uh, John Smith, people would not see the difference. And this is a challenge to our African uh, scholars. And when I say African scholars, I mean black and white African scholars. To write scholarly and intellectual work that espouse the value systems of the global south and the realities of the global south for the audience of the global south. Until a university becomes the agent of change intellectually to socialize society from our thinking, we are likely, unfortunately, to continue propagating knowledge from the global north as the standard knowledge. So it comes back again to epistemology. What is it that we knew before we know what we know? Only now due to COVID. People started realizing that there's something called Mishonyana that can help you if you 
burn it, it helps you to breathe properly. And it became very, very popular. In Zimbabwe, there is an African tea, a plant called Zumbani. People are now drinking it every day. It's not that it wasn't there. It was there long back. So how then do we use the resources that we have and put them and package them into knowledge that can provide solutions to the challenges we have at the moment? We do not need, well, we need knowledge from the North on how to make solar system. We have the sun more than actually they have in the global north. So how is it that we are not producing most of our energy from a resource that we already have? So it's those dynamics that we need universities to be more innovative, to provide solutions to African challenges. So those are some of the challenges we need to interrogate because we are our own liberators, both economically, socially, and intellectually. So the challenge for the youth is be, the, you know, be innovative to in, initiate the change that we want to see in the global south. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Webster, um, for, for that. Um, I think just staying on the theme of um, you know, higher education, um, another question that came from a colleague, and, and I want to um, link it with something else someone asked in the chat. Um, so you mentioned in your presentation you know, that Ubuntu is, is something that you don't see um, at universities. There is no you know, module or, 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 or if you had to say a formal learning in, in, in terms of Ubuntu. So the question a colleague had is, um, so given that the vision of, of SU is that it will be Africa's leading research intensive university, what advice do you have for Stellenbosch University and student affairs practitioners um, and the role they can play to make social justice by default, part part of our work, and and I think you know when you mentioned about Ubuntu and and what it embodies, um, how do you see that? Um, you know, how can that essentially be a framework used in terms of how student affairs practitioners um, approach approach their work? Interestingly, the concept of Ubuntu, while it is very uh, the, the, the philosophy, what is, while it is so much ingratiated here, it is almost prevalent across Africa. When you cross the Limpopo in Zimbabwe, it becomes Uno. When you are in East Africa, it's Utu. In Central Africa, they also have that concept. We are now forced, which will be my, 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 my intervention, to be more realistic to who we are. So a, a university like Stellenbosch needs to embrace more research and researchers from other parts of the continent if it is going to influence the rest of the continent. Added to that, exchange program with the universities is one area that I find very, very interesting. Most African universities that are right at the top, like your Stellenbosch University, UCT, WITS, and that, when they talk of exchange programs, you want to hear them, they want to tell you, oh, no, we've got our people, they are going to Harvard, they are going to London School of Economics, they are going to, 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 to Bochum in Germany, they are going to Japan. That is the exchange that they value. They don't go on 
to integrate some exchange programs and initiate some exchange programs with other African universities in other smaller, poorer countries to also learn from them. So in the end, it would seem like knowledge only flows from the global north to the global south. However, in these small universities in our African countries, you will find European and American researchers there creating knowledge, educating knowledge. Why don't we find University of Stellenbosch partnering with the University of Zimbabwe on projects, partnering of, uh, with the University of Zambia, partnering with the uh, uh, University of Mombasa in Kenya, so that we produce African knowledge that is important for Africa. Now, there is the African Continental Free Trade Agreement that is just coming to being. Stellenbosch is known for agriculture, including uh, vine. Wine is a, the most important wine region on the continent. Imagine if University of Stellenbosch would also open other smaller, uh, I mean, contributing knowledge with smaller universities, even in Nigeria. Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa, with more than 200 million people. Such that South African business can link with other African countries to promote African continent of free trade areas. So that's the thinking that sometimes lacks, where we want only to leverage our knowledge validation systems to universities in the global north, and we do not want to be associated perhaps because it's not... Uh, it's not lucrative enough and it's not uh, flashy to be saying I'm going on sabbatical to Rwanda to be there for three or six months as a scholar. And that has to change. Until that changes, we end up having what I referred to earlier, where you have uh, universities that are uh, microcosms of the, uh, of the global universities, such as University of Cambridge, University of London, and other universities. Not that we should not learn from them, no. Let us continue learning with them, but also let us be leaders in discovering Africa. We have a continent to be discovered. And if we don't discover it, the Chinese will come and discover it ahead of us. And they are already doing it. They started politically, but they are going to own the knowledge of our continent when we have old universities like University of Stellenbosch that celebrated the centenary. Thank you so much, Dr. Webster. Um, I think um, very briefly we have one more question, um, quite an interesting one. Um, it's about tax reform. Um, so, so, so the question is, is tax reform the answer? We understand that tax allows for redistribution, but we are also aware that politicians slash the 1% become lobbyists, oh, my English, lobbyists, to change policies to allow for tax policies to benefit them in terms of rebates. What other alternatives are there in addition to tax reforms if implemented with policy reviews? That's a very interesting, it's a, it's a debatable um, uh, aspect of uh, our economies. And uh, I am not an economist, but my thinking from a social justice perspective is that it is not only morally wrong, but unfair that the disparities with our, within our salaries should continue. They can't continue. 
It's a, look at the CEO of uh, Ackermans. They are, they, are, they, are, they are salary at the end of the year. And the person who is in the shop. It's just not fair. Something has to happen. But the bigger question now is the governments that we elect, that regulates and manage tax funds, because we, our taxes make governments functional. They must be put to task to stop corruption. Because that is one reason why some people even hide from tax. Because a person's tax, if it goes on to build someone's house and takes a minister and their girlfriends or boyfriends to a holiday in Europe, then that becomes meaningless. So it becomes, that's where active citizens is important. People should know where the money that comes from SARS is managed by the state. If we ignore and let uh, the politicians do their thing, we end up having another Zondo Commission every year when funds would have been looted. So I want to tackle that issue from a social justice perspective more than the economic imperatives of tax reforms because I do not want to touch areas that I'm not uh, well versed in. But I find it very morally wrong that mining companies cannot even build a small school or provide housing or provide a clinic in a community that they loot billions of dollars and land. That is unfair. And a regulatory framework becomes imperative. But let those that manage our state's coffers also be accountable to the people so that we don't have a corrupt elite looting and eating on behalf of the poor. Thank you for listening to our podcast and remember to follow us on Instagram at FEZS Institute and subscribe to the podcast for bi-weekly uploads. Also feel free to send us a message if you would like to collaborate on an episode or if you are interested in one of our short courses.
thank you for listening to our podcast and remember to follow us on Instagram at FEZS Institute and subscribe to the podcast for bi-weekly uploads. Also feel free to send us a message if you would like to collaborate on an episode or if you are interested in one of our short courses.